is great to be able to share with you again this morning. And um, our text has brought us from chapter 10 to a very interesting section where Jesus addresses three things. Um, he talks about divorce, he talks about children, and he talks about wealth. Um, and I understand this can be a, a tender subject for lots of people. Many people have been affected by divorce in their lives. Uh, either having gone through a divorce themselves or uh, maybe being a child in the family that had a divorce. And so I can understand it's a tender subject and it's, um, it can be a difficult subject. But uh, I really just want to have a look here in this portion this morning at what Jesus says and then to try and apply that into our own lives a little and to see how we can not only understand the subject but also how we can help people that have had a, a real uh, a reality of divorce in their lives. So um, we're in Mark chapter 10 and the first 12 verses I'm going to read this morning. It says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made man and male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And so just before I get into what I want to say this morning, again, just let's uh, refresh ourselves in terms of the context of this. Remember, Jesus has left the north, the safety of the north of the country, and is pursuing his way down south. And he had left Galilee and it came into Judea. Uh, at, at this point, he hadn't yet re reached Jerusalem, but he was moving inexorably towards Jerusalem and to the final scene of his life and ministry that awaited him there. And along the way, as Jesus is traveling, he's giving extra teaching to his disciples and to the crowds. And as I've said in this chapter, he talks about these three key issues, divorce, children, and wealth. And I'm going to just look at the first with you this morning, and that's the subject of divorce. And so in the context of these verses, we see the Pharisees come to Jesus with a question, and they're testing him. And again, there's the implication that perhaps they're trying to uh, trip him up. So we can see there's probably most likely more than one motive behind their question. And for me, it was really interesting in thinking about this to consider that even in Jesus' time, divorce was a burning issue. And it was a subject that rabbis discussed often. So possibly they just wanted to get Jesus' opinion to see if he held an orthodox position on, on divorce. Um, 
We also do know from Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus already had said some things about divorce. Remember, after the famous Sermon on the Mount, he speaks about divorce and remarriage there. So a second motive, perhaps, is that uh, the, possibly the Pharisees knew that he had already spoken about it and they wanted to see if he would contradict himself. Or, or thirdly, um, remember the situation with John the Baptist who um, had been killed because of his opposition to Philip's uh, marriage, um, or rather to um, Her uh, Herod's marriage to Herodias, who was the, the, the wife of Philip. Um, and so perhaps the Pharisees were trying to confront uh, Jesus and force him into uh, quarrel with, with Herod. Um, so that could have been a motive as well. Or finally, maybe they just wanted to see if Jesus was going to contradict the law of Moses, which indeed he did. Uh, and then they could formulate a charge of heresy against him. So perhaps there were, we don't know, but there could have been a number of motives why the, the Pharisees came. But as I've said, one thing is for certain, divorce and the discussion around divorce wasn't just an academic subject that the rabbis were, dis were interested in. It was an important and pressing issue of the day. And I think that's really important to notice because actually divorce is a pressing and important issue today, and in Jesus' day it also was. And the reason I say that is because Jewish people had a very high view of marriage, and um, chastity and uh, uh, sexual, um, uh, yeah, sexual ch chastity was held up as a great virtue. Um, but the idea, that was the ideal. But in the practice of marriage, it fell very much short of that. And the reason I say that is because under Jewish law, a woman had no legal rights of her own. She was very much regarded as the property of her husband and was at the complete disposal of the head of the family as her husband. And so that meant in reality that a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. And there were very, very few grounds that a woman could seek to divorce her husband. At best, and I've had a look at uh, some of the Jewish teaching, at best she could just ask him if she could have a divorce. And the, the root of all of this uh, in Jewish teaching was Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, which says this, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, he can send her away from his house. Well, as you can imagine, the root of the problem was the interpretation of those phrases. What does something displeasing to him mean? What does something indecent mean? How were those phrases to be interpreted? And so there had been a great debate with Jewish rabbis about that very thing. And there were two schools of thought, really. Um, one was the school of a guy called Shammai, who interprets that, those phrases to simply mean referring to adultery and adultery alone. And so the context was then, even if a wife was proving to be a very difficult person, in the, in the context of a marriage, uh, the only ground for divorce was uh, adultery. And then there was another rabbi called Hillel who interpreted these words much more widely and said, even if a, a woman, a wife, spoiled the food in the house or she spoke to a stranger in the street 
or she spoke disrespectfully of her husband or any of his relatives in his hearing, that was grounds for divorce. If she was argumentative, that was grounds for divorce. And so you can imagine that these two opinions were competing for, for um, superiority, which was going to take sway over the other. And human nature being what it was, it was the second view, unfortunately, that began to hold more sway and eventually prevailed in people's thinking. And the result of that was that even for the most trivial reason, a, uh, a woman could be divorced from a husband, and that was really quite common in Jesus' time. And so when Jesus speaks like this, as he does here on the subject of marriage, he, in a sense, is fighting on behalf of women to restore marriage to a position that it ought to have. And uh, do you notice that in verse 5, Jesus quotes the Mosaic law, and then he says, it was because your hearts were so hard that Moses even wrote this law. And so it seems that even for Moses, um, laying down a law like this was in some way trying to control a situation that was already getting worse. And so it was not so much a, position, a permission to get divorced, but rather an attempt to control divorce by making a law which made it difficult. And so in the context of our passage, Jesus also makes it quite clear why he thought this law was laid down. And he says it plainly. He says it's because your hearts are so hard. And then he goes right back to the creation story in Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24, as the authority for what he's saying. And he makes it quite clear that in his view, uh, God's intention for marriage was a permanence, which united two people together, in a way that couldn't be broken by rules or human law or regulations, even a regulation given by Moses. And then there is something that we do need to acknowledge, is a difficulty that we do need to acknowledge, um, there's a parallel account of this in Matthew chapter, uh, I forget now, but in Matthew's gospel. And there's a difference between the two accounts. In Mark's uh, account, there's a, pro a prohibition on, on marriage, which is absolute. And in Matthew, ah, yes, M Matthew 19, um, Jesus says this same thing as well, but then he says divorce is permitted on the ground, one ground alone, and that's adultery. And so it seems to me that Matthew's version would be correct, and that's what Jesus is intending to say, and that's indeed what is implied by his response in Mark as well. Um, and it's true that in Jewish law, a Jewish um, custom, adultery is the one thing that in fact, in fact does dissolve, dissolve the bond of marriage. And it's true once adultery has been committed, unity in that sense is broken, and divorce merely confirms that fact. But it seems to me that the real intention of this passage in Mark, that where Jesus is insisting on uh, seeing divorce in this way, is, is to end the loose sexual morality of his day and, and to, to, to acknowledge that it needed to be mended. Um, and so he's trying to help people to see those that sought marriage only for their own gratification or pleasure must be reminded of the responsibility that goes alongside marriage that it's a deep responsibility that husbands have to wives and wives have to husbands. 
or for those that simply saw marriage as a means of fulfilling physical passion, must also be reminded that there's a deep spiritual unity between two people that happens as well. And so Jesus is really, in the way that he talks about divorce, he's really building a defense for the home. And uh, that brings me to try and apply this now to our modern day and to say this, that um, very few issues should cause us such concern as the continuing breakdown of marriage in our Western culture. Uh, and that doesn't just concern partners that are torn apart, but also the unpredict unpredictable um, damage it does to children and to others well into the future as marriages break down. And for me, it really does signal a, a disintegration of one of the fundamental parts of our structure in society. And above all, it breaks God's purpose for our lives. So I understand that. And, and, and on the other hand, as a pastor, I've been serving in the church in different contexts now for over 30 years. It's a, it's a, a sad acknowledgement and a tragedy that I've seen over the years that people do choo choose badly, they make mistakes, they change dramatically, they fall out of love. And so perhaps to those that are happily married or those that are not yet married, it might seem puzzling or even inconceivable that these things can happen, that people can simply fall out of love, for example. And so there's a temptation to kind of respond and say, well, why don't you just do this? And that's something that I've seen operates quite a lot in people's lives, advice that is given quite um, freely. But the fact is that some marriages do lose their inner core of meaning, of cherishing of each other, and people do begin to feel trapped, and the deteriorating relationships do destroy all of those that are involved in them, uh, husbands and wives and extended families. And we see also certainly uh, societal pressure uh, the increased mobility of people all over the world, and increasingly non-Christian values and lifestyles. And all these things mitigate against loving, stable relationships. And so I just want to say, for us as believers and members of God's precious bride, the church, we must continue to find ways that we uphold and prepare people for and sustain couples in the original divine purpose of one man and one woman for life. And yet at the same time, we have to find ways of showing deep concern, sympathy, and understanding of Jesus towards those whose lives haven't quite turned out according to what they had hoped for. And so I want to end by just saying, of course, if you've been through a divorce or if your life has been impacted by a divorce, the grace and kindness of God is available to all of us. And He does restore all things. And He does bring us into a place of healing where we can commit in terms of a relationship again. And so I want to encourage you, uh, as you might be wanting to rebuild your life, that God's grace is available to you to do exactly that. And if marriage is something that you still desire for your life, God can do an amazing thing to bring healing in your life and restore you completely so you can trust Him for that again. God's grace and kindness is available to all of us, and He does restore and make all things new. Even relationships that have been broken can restore those again.
I said to you that I've been involved now in, a church, in church leadership for 30 years. And so I have also seen amazing testimonies of God restoring people, healing them, restoring marriages that seemed beyond repair, and also bringing people into new relationships where wonderful marriages do are a result of that. And so we want to help as much as we can uh, in our church community with all those kinds of relationships uh, and to facilitate God's healing in people's lives. And um, I'm going to ask Helen to come, and she's just briefly going to share with you uh, some plans that we have that we hope will, will help uh, um, uh, all of you, um, perhaps those preparing for marriage, perhaps those that are, are uh, wanting to be restored after painful divorce that you've been through, uh, that God's grace is available. And we've got a couple of, of plans available, um, ready for the future, and we'd like to share those with you this morning. And we want to trust with you that God is going to do an amazing work of restoration as we move forward into those things. So I trust that message encourages you and uh, know that as I end, I just want to say again, God's grace is available to you and He wants you to be restored in your life. And we're going to look now at some things that we're planning to help facilitate that. God bless you.